Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. We're going to be reading from Romans 14, like two bits, Romans 14 and then Romans 15. Um, If you haven't got a Bible, put up your hand and our people will hand one to you. a moment to choose and find it and then we'll start reading. I'm going to start from Romans 14 um, verse Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling or disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat in everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Now then, why do you judge your brother and sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give account of ourselves to God. And I'm going to go to 15. 15 verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And that is the word of God. Let's pray. 
uh, and uh, we'll find out what, what Paul is saying here. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you that you speak to us through it. We thank you for the last 17 weeks in Romans, Lord, and how uh, we've been uh, confronted with some deep truths about who you are and how you work uh, in the world around us and work in our lives as well. We thank you for all the things you've shown us through Jesus, Lord, that we are justified by, by faith in him and him alone. We're thankful, for Lord, for uh, all these um, these, these uh, deep truths about uh, our salvation and, and your love for us. And Lord, today, as we uh, understand how that applies, help us to, to uh, be again convicted of these truths by your Spirit. Help us, uh, may your Spirit move us to, to be a people that want to uh, not only uh, respond to this, but to, to actually uh, live it out with a passion and a, a zeal, Lord, to want to honor your name and want to, uh, yeah, and make, Jesus, make, make much of Jesus in our lives. And so we do pray for that now as we get into it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's been really cool because over this series in the last 17 weeks, uh, we've had the opportunity to be uh, interactive a bit, haven't we? Uh, if you remember very early on, I asked a lot of questions to you guys and you guys responded. Uh, there was questions like, uh, who here is Team Apple and who here is Team Android? Do you guys remember that? I asked you guys questions about who do you think is the, is the worst villain, Thanos or Joker? Who, uh, who thinks it's worse uh, whether you park in a disabled spot or use your, uh, or or, or um, not give up your seat on a, you know, on a bus to an elderly person, and we had a lot of different opinions, didn't we? Uh, the one, my favorite one was, um, who thinks jaywalking is worse, or using your friend's Netflix account, and you know that was really telling of um, people's. Um, yeah, uh, feelings on that. But um, the responses have been really divided. And I really uh, find that interesting in our church. I mean, well, it's not interesting. It is interesting. But it's uh, this thing where uh, in this church, we have different opinions, don't we? Uh, there's an ongoing joke in our church uh, through interviews and stuff like that, uh, whether you are a cat person or a dog person. And that's still like, I, I can't fathom that. Why would you be a cat person? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. But amongst the church, there are different people, and I've got to accept that. I've got to accept that there are cat people here, and that's okay. I'll still love you either way, but that's how it is, isn't it? We all have a different perspective on life. We all have a different perspective on certain issues, especially as Christians, on how we live as well, how we live out the Christian life. We'll have a different approach to it, uh, even though we're part of the same church, even though we're part of the same church family. As we wrap up Romans, we're going to see that that's the concern, too, for the Roman church. Like us, it's made up of different people who have different perspectives on, on how to live the Christian life. We've got to remember that Paul, the author of this letter, Paul the apostle to Jesus, uh, he spent the first 11 chapters, didn't he, writing out what we believe about God, the theology, the understanding of who God is, the study of God, and understanding how salvation works under this God that we believe and trust in. And then from chapter 12, uh, he moves to the church, to us. He talks about us, how we practically live out the Christian faith. And one of the things he mentions in chapter 12 is, uh, is, is that we're called to live in harmony with one another. We're called to serve and love one another. And he's expanding on that here in chapter 14, isn't he? How do we love one another and be unified together? That's the big question that he's, we're going to ask today as we look into chapter 14. It's really interesting. I think the first six verses really give us an idea of that, and that's what was read for us by Nick. Uh, let's get into it. If you have your Bible, open it up again. We're going to read it again so we can follow along and, and get into Paul's mind and understand how it applies to us. Uh, 
verse 1, except the one whose faith is weak. Without quarreling over disputable matters, one's pers- one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they, uh, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. All right, the first thing to note is this. Within the church... We're going to have people who in their faith to God will practice or live out their faith in different ways. Right? We, I've said that already. Paul calls them disputable matters. It's been really helpful for me to see and understand this over the years as matters uh, that are uh, either, you could call them primary issues and secondary issues. Uh, I like to use the term uh, open-handed issues or closed-handed issues. So closed-handed issues are the primary matters that we uh, are closed-handed on. We're not going to budge on. And open-handed issues are those that are disputable, secondary issues, right? So in our closed hand, in our primary issues that we believe in, that we're not going to budge on, is that you know, we, uh, things like we believe in, in, in God the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit as Christians. That's what we believe in. That's closed-handed. We believe that Jesus is, is both fully God and fully men. That's closed-handed. We believe that it is uh, through faith in God's grace that we're saved. That's closed-handed primary issues that Christians should know and believe. We're clearly and unashamedly on the same page for those things as Christians here in this church. If, if, those, uh, if there are those in the church who are, who are teaching something different to the gospel that is set out in the Bible, then we should separate from them. We should call it out as heresy, even remove them if it is harmful for the community. But there are things that are open-handed issues, aren't there? Secondary matters. There are things that aren't clear in the Bible that are more in the gray area, open to interpretation, for example, matters that are differing in values or opinions or beliefs, things that aren't so black and white and that might even divide Christians. Now, for Paul, let's go back into his world, right? Ancient Rome, the, first, the, the early church. He alludes to things, this example of eating. Some of you guys are clapping, right? Yeah. People who eat vegetables, you guys are the weak ones. That's what he, you know. But that's not that's not what's going on, right? Some eat meat, and some are vegetarian. He does he imply he does imply that the vegetarian is the one weak in, with the weaker faith, weaker faith. But he's saying that because he's suggesting that those who don't yet know or believe that meat is forbidden need to be taught that it is permissible to eat meat. That's what he's trying to say. It's okay to eat meat. Some people think that it's not okay. There are people in the church that are of Jewish background in his day. Right? Jewish background means they've been raised with Jewish laws and traditions. There are certain meats like bacon, roast pork, oh, you know, those good meat, those, those, those yummy meats that they aren't permitted to eat. Another thing in their culture, though, is that you don't know often where the meat is coming from. You go, in, like, you go into the marketplace and you buy meat, right? And we go to the supermarket, but back then they'd go in the marketplace, they'll buy meat, and you don't know where that meat came from. You don't know, where, you know who, who prepared that meat for you. A lot of the meat in ancient Rome was used for pagan worship. Right? People would sacrifice animals on the altars or to their gods. 
and, and they would then use that same meat after sacrificing them to sell on the market because obviously their statues aren't going to eat that meat, so they'd sell it on, right? This was meat sacrificed to idols. That's a huge no-no for, for Jewish Christians, right? Or, or, yeah, for Jewish Christians. So we have to understand, just like us, right, there are people in the church who have different understandings, different backgrounds, different faith backgrounds, and for the first time, they're coming to Jesus and learning what it means to be a Christian. And, and so some Christians, they're going to quarrel over these things because Christians will be like, oh, well, Jesus made all things clean so we can eat meat and that's okay, right? We can enjoy meat. But there are other, point, there are other people at the different points of their faith journey uh, and they're thinking, well, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And it's not okay. And, and so Paul wants them to understand, uh, don't quarrel over these things. We're all at different points of, the, of our faith journey. There'll be some who have more knowledge. There'll be some who have more understanding and they'll be practicing their faith. Others who have less knowledge and are unaware of how to practice their faith. Either way, we all need guidance, don't we? Either way, we're all on that trajectory of growth, aren't we, as Christians? Right? And so there's this illusion here of using this weaker and stronger uh, words to, to describe our maturity in the faith. Some, some of us are still young in our faith. Some of us are more mature in our faith. In today's world... Um, we can understand this whole meat thing, right? Like, yeah, sure, it's, it's okay to eat meat. But I totally understand that, that, that you know, some of us are vegetarian, and not because of the law thing, but because that's their preference. They want to care for the planet. They want to stop eating meat. That's great. That's good and fine. We're not here to quarrel over that, right? We're not here to say you're less godly if you're not eating meat or where you're less godly if you're, you know, if, if you're a meat eater. Another issue that Paul raises for his context is here. He says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers, uh, another considers every day alike. Again, understanding his context, Jewish Christians, they were practicing Sabbath as a holy day. Some of them were still practicing Sabbath as a holy day. Christians today still practice Sabbath. It's a holy day where you don't do any work, where you, you, where you, don't, uh, where you prepare the food the day before. I've met Christians to this day that still practice Sabbath, and that's okay. And so for them, this is, this is what he's referring to. Things like Sabbath or, or holy day uh, festivals and all that sort of stuff, Jewish festivals in the calendar, they want to celebrate that as holy days, whereas others will see every day alike. And so what Paul is saying, this is, uh, this is the idea where so, certain laws uh, are still things that they're holding on to. Yet Paul wants them to also see, well, the gospel of grace has saved you. You don't need that legalistic approach to God. It won't save you. While he doesn't want them to stay as weak or immature Christians, though, he does care more for their unity. He says, don't quarrel with one another over these open-handed, secondary, disputable matters. Interesting, isn't it? Because there are so many of those that I come across in the church. So many of these open-handed, secondary issues that people do quarrel about. I don't want us to be naive Right? As I, I've been in churches long enough. I've seen churches split over secondary issues. People leave the church. People fight in churches. People argue about these secondary issues. We are a Presbyterian church, if you didn't know, uh, and we do have a position on some of those secondary issues. I want to be clear about that. There are biblical matters that uh, we have a position on, as a, as a leadership at least. Matters like predestination, which has come up in Romans, especially in chapter 9. Uh, the role of men and women in eldership in the church, our views on baptism. There are some uh, doctrines that the Presbyterian Church are clear about, 
And it's been set out back in the 1600s in the Westminster Confession. You can look that up on Google. That's what we adhere to as a Presbyterian church. Um, But it was there because back then even there was a lot of disunity about what we believed in churches. And so they set out this Westminster Confession where they wrote down what we believe as a church. But, you know, even if you did, even if you weren't a Presbyterian, even if you came to this church and you didn't agree with some of these positions, that doesn't exclude you from fellowship. They're secondary matters. They're open-handed issues. We still want to do church with you. We still want to do life around Jesus with you. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Yes, yeah, I'm happy to baptize babies. I love doing that, you know, and I think it's a beautiful uh, symbol to include babies of, of believing Christian parents to be part of this church family. But our Baptist friends would disagree. They believe baptism is reserved only when you're old enough to self-profess uh, it and own your faith. Sure, we'll disagree on baptism, but we can be in the same church. We can be Christians. We can have good, deep fellowship still. At the end of the day, the idea of baptism is still close-handed. I think every Christian should get baptized as, as Jesus calls us to get baptized. But how we do baptism, at what age you do baptism, that's an open-handed issue, isn't it? There are these things that we're going to uh, disagree on, but that doesn't mean we can't be same, part of the same church family. There are other things that have come up, that have come up here at Providence as well. And this is going to get spicy, okay? You can, you can uh, write your emails to me later. But um, how we see creation. Some Christians will say we have to. We have to believe that the first seven days in the Bible are literal seven days, which means our earth is, yeah, what, about 6,000 years old, a bit more? That's an okay view to have. There's others that will hold that the earth is much older, that the, the seven days are, aren't literal, they're metaphorical, they're, they're, they could be thousands and millions of years. And while the earth is old, humanity is young. That's an okay view too. As long as we both, if, as long as we all believe that there was an Adam, a real man, that started at the beginning, because Jesus believed in Adam too, the idea of how we see creation is an open-handed issue. I've had people say to me, Mikey, uh, the leadership in this church, this is in my old church, uh, the leadership in this church isn't preaching seven-day creation, therefore they're not preaching the gospel. I disagree with that. I think that's an open-handed issue. Let's get more down to everyday matters though, right? Because there are a lot of things that get disputed. Uh, people often ask me about Christians doing yoga. I got asked this, this, that this week actually, and... Um, and I hear you chuckling about this, but this is a serious matter for some, some people. They feel very strongly about this. Uh, I have a friend who has a yoga channel. She's a Christian. Uh, it's Grace X Strength. You can go YouTube it later. Uh, she's a Christian. She teaches yoga. And she's had, she shared her articles online. She's become a bit of a social influencer. Uh, and she gets a lot of pushback from other Christians saying yoga has Hindu and Buddhist roots. Yes, that's true. Uh, so Christians should avoid it and have nothing to do with it. But she's redeeming the practice, and instead of meditating on your, on your oneness with yourself and, and emptying your mind, she promotes meditating on scriptures instead, as you do your yoga stretches and your poses. I think that's great, but not everyone will agree. Uh, another issue, I'm, I'm about to become a parent, if you guys didn't know, uh, Heidi's pregnant, and a lot of parents have differing views on a lot of different things. <laughs> wow. <sighs> And I can understand why people might want to leave a church if there are other parents telling you how you should you parent your child and very strong about that. You know, uh, I've had an, uh, someone tell me off because about my view on public schooling 
that I, I promote that. I think it's a good thing. And I shouldn't. I don't know why. I can, I, and so there's these views on public and private schooling. That person wasn't even a parent. <laughs> you see, that, that, the topic is so divisive. There are so many of these topics that come up in church. Uh, another one, drinking, smoking. Yes, they lead to addiction. Yes, it's not good for your health. Yes, it can be ridiculously expensive, a waste of your money, not wise spending of God's resources. But are you going to divide with another because they choose in their freedom to, to have a smoke or have a beer? Now, that's really controversial. I get that, right? But... Well, we'll get to the part in the chapter about stumbling others in a second and how we use our freedoms. Like, we do need to be wise about how we use our freedoms. We'll get to that. But these are open-handed issues, friends. They're, they're not gospel issues. We might disagree over them. We need to keep coming back to what are the closed-handed issues that we will be unified over. What really matters as a church family? We're going to have our convictions. And as we grow in our faith, we'll grow in convictions. You see, the Bible at times only gives us uh, the principles. More often than not, we have to have the wisdom to apply it to our situation. Some of us will come to different conclusions and convictions, and that's okay. While there'll be uh, closed-handed issues and open-handed issues, and while there's room to grow and mature in our understanding of God and how we practice our faith, Paul says here, stop passing judgment on one another, as it leads instead to a spirit of rejection, not acceptance in the church family. Yes, some of those things aren't helpful. Yes, I don't want to promote, I'm not saying I'm promoting smoking, okay? Like, I know you guys will be like, what the heck, Mikey? No, it's bad for your health. People die, and it's bad. You know, it's addiction, and addictions are bad. It's idolatry. I'm not promoting these things. But are these the things we're going to quarrel over and have disunity over? We need to have a spirit of acceptance in this church. Because when we accept one another, it leads to unity. Unity and love in the body of Christ, which is more essential than agreeing over the non-essentials. That's what Paul elaborates here. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Uh, we didn't read this earlier, so I'll read it for you guys. You can follow along. Thir 13 says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Now, Paul has his opinions, doesn't he? He, he himself is fully persuaded in Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Jesus has made all things clean because his death on the cross took away all our uncleanliness. That's how it works. The regulations, the law that stood between us and God, Jesus fulfilled that perfectly. He took that upon himself. 
Jesus says in, in the Gospels, it's not what that comes into our mouth that makes us unclean, but what comes out of our hearts that makes us unclean. It's not about the food that we put into our mouth. And so Paul is saying that some believers are younger, weaker in their faith, still learning, still growing, and we have to treat each other with love. Verse 19, make every effort that leads to peace and mutual edification, right? Edifying means building one another up to be stronger in our faith. Don't destroy the church family bickering over uh, what you can or cannot eat. Don't destroy unity when you quarrel over whether iPhone or Android is better, because iPhone will always win. Don't, don't, cause, <laughs> that was a joke. don't cause division because you and another at church can't see eye to eye with a secondary open-handed issue. Seek love and unity. Yes, disagree. Have deep discussions. Let the word of God be the foundation of those discussions, but do so in love and acceptance and gentleness. Understanding that we all have our own conscience and convictions that we have to have, decide on. But hear me on this, right? Love and unity doesn't come at the sake of being okay with sin. In love, we have to call out sin. Let me use drinking alcohol as one of those examples, right? It's permissible. Yes, drink, uh, have a drink and that's fine. Uh, not sinful to have a glass of wine. But if your brother or sister at church is getting smashed, is addicted to, is, is an alcoholic, is getting smashed every Saturday night, hung over at church on a Sunday morning, we've got to call that out for what it is. We've got to help them see that for what it is. In love and a lot of gentleness, because you care for them and you care for their relationship with God. And I'm sure you can think of many other examples, can't you? Where we might let our freedoms in Christ without self-control slide into sin, lead us into sin. We need to call that out in love. But as we do unity as well, let's be humble in the way we do it. We all make mistakes. We've all been wrong at some point. We are all on a trajectory of growth and maturity as Christians. In seeking unity, be patient and humble, knowing you don't always get it right and still don't. I know I don't. I still get it wrong sometimes. Let's walk with one another in love, not passing judgment, but in patience and humility. And in humility, let's be teachable. Let's be willing to have our conscience and our convictions even change and grow over time from the teaching of the Bible, from discussing the Bible with other peers in your church family. You know, one of the things I love about being in a church community is I love being able to read the Bible and pray with you guys. I actually learn so much from what we call Bible study. It sounds really nerdy, but Bible study is actually so good because we come around the Bible and we learn about God together and we hear each other's different perspectives and we sharpen one another and we mutually edify. Have you ever walked away from a good, rich Bible study and gone, wow, I've never seen it that way. And I'm so thankful for other people's perspectives. Be open to letting your convictions and conscience be challenged and reformed with what the Bible is saying. But please also be discerning. Be discerning of where you're getting and who you're getting your teaching from. Be teachable, yes. Keep being teachable and humble, but let it be teachable from gospel-centered, Bible-centered Christians. Not some random teaching from some dude on YouTube that just has a lot of hype and a lot of charisma, but the teaching is shallow and fluffy and not gospel-centered. Be discerning of what you're listening to, what you're feeding into your mind and into your heart. You see, when we seek unity, we'll discover that maturity comes from being in the church family. 
Maturity comes from a church family made up of different believers at different stages of their faith, uh, sharpening one another, giving input into each other's lives. And that's one of the best parts of being in a church family, isn't it? We can work through those conflicts, we can work through those disagreements, and we can do that in love and humility. Let's say you are that person, you might consider yourself as a stronger Christian, not, not in an arrogant way, but just because you've been a Christian for a while, yeah, everyone knows that you serve at church, you're not ashamed of telling people you're a Christian. Uh, you know that doing things in a certain way, following certain rules or laws, don't change your status before God or Jesus. You're saved by faith alone and grace alone. How will you, you use your freedoms in Christ? Will you be aware that your freedoms could potentially stumble another brother or sister at church? See, the thing about unity is that we should always be thinking of the other. Think about unity in a church community is we're thinking about how our actions and our words will affect people around us. I know some of you guys are fiercely independent, and that's so good. It's a strength. But the Christian life doesn't exist in a vacuum, does it? In a bubble, in your own little bubble. It exists in a relationship with God and with relationship with people around us, the church family that God has saved us into. How will we go being a member of this church family and thinking of those around us and how our actions and our words impact those around us? Paul says in verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. And verse 21, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine uh, or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall, to stumble. Uh, and you go into chapter 15 that, that Nick read for us, verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Friends, let's in love be wise about how we live and loving in our actions. While we might be aware of our own motivations and heart you know, intentions, we could be modeling something to a younger Christian, perhaps, that leads them to sin because they aren't aware. And we do this with children, don't we, right? If you're an adult and you ever babysat children or you have kids of your own, uh, there's a reason why we don't expose them to MA movies. There's a reason why, we don't, why we'll, we'll happily watch Bluey or Disney movies with the kids because we don't want them to stumble, be exposed to things that they aren't mature enough to comprehend. Yes, sure, you guys are all adults, you're not children, but some of us are still learning what it means to be a Christian and how we live, out that, live that out in a way that honours God. So that might mean in your love for those around you, you might restrict your freedoms to serve and care for them. I'll be really practical again here, right? Your conscience in line with Scripture agrees that it is permissible to drink, to drink alcohol. But there's a guy or girl that's hanging out with you, right? And they're struggling with alcoholism. What is loving in that moment? Isn't it loving not to drink for the sake of that person? Or if that person seriously has a problem with it because they've seen families or they know someone in their own family who's an abusive alcoholic parent, would you not drink for the sake of that person or loving that person? Or simply if that person just believes it's not right and they can't seem to, at that moment, change their perspective, it distresses them, would you not drink for the sake of loving that person? Walk with them. If it's causing them anxiety and stress, walk in love with them. Yes, it may mean restricting your freedoms. It may mean patience. It may mean pointing the person to Jesus gently, but you can do it. You lack nothing. You're secure in your faith. You have everything in Jesus already. Sometimes we can restrict our freedoms, can't we? And do it for the good and love of those around us. There'll be times 
there'll be moments at least where you'll have to really consider, decide, is what you're doing loving? Will you love your freedom or will you love your brother or sister in Christ who might be stumbled by your actions? Now, be aware, though, right? We're not bending over backwards for every single thing that another Christian will get annoyed at you about, right? And they'll say, oh, Mikey, you're, you're stumbling me, all right? It, not, there are some things, right? People use that as an excuse, and it's like they, they're using this clause in the Bible to manipulate your, you know, the church family so they get their way. We have to be aware of that, that that happens sometimes. We have to be aware of our intentions, our own intentions. But we do have to be aware of what Paul is saying here. We have to take it to heart. Are our actions leading others to sin? This is challenging. This is really hard. It's difficult to do, but it is possible. We can be a church where we're constantly learning and growing in grace for love, in love for one another. Where, are, where people are modeling to one another what godliness and holiness looks like. Where we can help each other dig deeper in the gospel and rethink how we see the Christian life of grace. We can grow in patience and, and, and walk with those who are younger in faith, expecting them to, not to see eye to eye with us necessarily, but to actually open the Bible and patiently walk with them in the gospel of grace. To simply love, right? To be a church family, united over the things that truly matter and the salvation that's offered to us in Jesus, accepting and welcoming one another into this church family. Wouldn't that be the type of church you'd want to be part of? A loving, welcoming, unified church. It's hard, but it's possible. It's possible because of Jesus. You might be here and you're not a Christian or new to this Christian thing, and, and you're hearing this for the first time. What? I've got to restrict some of my freedoms for the sake of others around me? I don't care about the others around me. <laughs> I only care about myself. Why, why are you telling me this? Why does the Bible talk about this? Well, it's actually possible and something we want to do because of Jesus. Let's read uh, chapter 15. That was read for us. Verse 2. I'll read from there. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that is written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So with one mind, one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This is why we do it. Because of Jesus. He's our motivation. He's our example. It's so countercultural, isn't it, to the world that we live in today, where you are number one, and what you do, your independence is what matters. Paul brings it back to Jesus. He's the reason we do what we do. Remember chapter 12, it started off with, in light of God's mercies, it's in light of those mercies that you've received, Offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. In light of how Christ has accepted you when you were the, were you the sinner, the weak, the one who did not know the grace of God. Because he's accepted you, because he's willing to give up his very own freedoms, will you reach out to those around you to build them up, to welcome them in, to accept them, regardless of where they're at in their faith journey. If we don't look to Jesus, we're going to run out of gas on our own. 100%. We'll get tired. We'll feel exhausted. We'll get disillusioned. Not understanding anymore why we're doing what we're doing. Why are we doing this? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of thinking about people around me. I don't care what people do. You'll get disgruntled. You'll be 
upset and you won't want to be part of a church community. You'll rather disunity because you can't handle it anymore. Instead, come back to Jesus. Keep coming back to Jesus. That's what Paul wants us to do here. That's what the Bible wants us. That's what God wants us to do. Each of us should look to Christ. If we don't look to Jesus, we'll run out of gas on our own. Yes, we will get tired, exhausted. But see how Jesus has poured out his life for you. See how he was willing to deal with the sin that you and I committed and deal patiently with us. Wow, God was so patient with me. I was such a pain in the butt to deal with. But let his grace and mercy, let that be our fuel for love. I've said this before in Romans, but when we've been impacted by the love of God in our lives, when we've embraced the salvation and grace of Christ, it doesn't end with us, does it? It results in love for those around us. Love comes down, love fills up, love overflows towards those around us. The gospel is so much more than just about me, myself, and I. But it's actually about those God has saved us into a community with. The people that God has brought around us. The relationships we have. The people that God calls us to love, practice love too. Now I get it, right? We have to push back against our culture on this one. We're raised in that culture that tells us to be independent and only care about ourselves. Sure, be independent. That's a good thing. I want you to be independent. But it's one that also breeds entitlement and privilege too, doesn't it? Our world revolves around us. So naturally, we'll see our relationship with God just to be about us, about how special I am, how much God loves me. But the gospel worldview, when we understand the gospel and we shape the way we see life around the gospel, it transforms everything, doesn't it? Who's at the center now? It's not us. It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus. He's at the center. He's the one that our life now revolves around. We don't worship ourselves. We worship him. And in, in worshiping Jesus, he calls us to seek out and love others just as he sought us out with all our mess, with all our misunderstandings, with all our weaknesses, with all our sin. Consider how patient he's been with us. How much more are we called to be patient with those around us? Accepting them, even if they aren't quite there yet in their faith, even if it, mean, even if it means you might have to reconsider some of your actions so you can build another person up in love. Friends, you and I, we can do it because we have Christ. Because we know Christ's patience and love for us. People around you aren't going to necessarily share the same perspective as you on those open-handed issues, are they? They might not see worship and music the same way you do. You might like the traditional hymns. And they might like listening to the contemporary pop stuff. They might not share your views on how to care for the planet. They don't have a keep cup. They, they, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, we're going to, what is going to unify us ultimately? What's going to bring us together as a church family? It's going to be Jesus, isn't it? That we'll be devoted to those closed-handed issues about the gospel. And we'll be openly, freely, gently, peacefully discussing those open-handed issues with respect and grace and love and mercy. For Christians, our unity is around Jesus. So as we round out our series in Romans, right, the tapestry has been revealed. It finishes with how we play our part in this unfolding narrative. God's big picture is that we as a humanity have fallen short because of our sin. We need to put our faith in God's promises of salvation as we've seen in history. We've seen it go as far back as Adam and then Abraham in the Bible. 
It'll be faith, not just in the idea of God, but faith in Jesus to make us right before God and reconcile the broken relationship we have with him. God extends that invitation because he loves us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to come into a relationship with him. And as we enter into that relationship, we enter into that tapestry of grace. We see that there is a role for us to play. Our role is to live in light of his mercies, to honor, as we heard Jesus, to serve and love those around us as well. Be unified with one mind, with one voice, so that God himself will be glorified. Will that be our goal as a church, friends? To live out our faith as a response and a joy of knowing God's grace for us. Let's pray. Father, help us, help us see Jesus who was patient with us, who accepted us when we were weak, when we were lost, when we were uh, without God. Help us to reach out to others in our church family with love, seeking unity, seeking peace, mutual edification, because we ultimately want to honor and glorify your name. May we be a church that proclaims the goodness of Christ through the way, through the way we act and speak in love. May that stand out so that our unity isn't going to be built on secondary issues but rather our unity will be built upon what truly matters, Jesus, his love for us and his death that covers our sin. May that truth bring us together as a church family. May we point each other to Christ so we can mature and grow stronger in your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.